greatest pleasure and satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. And the reason that is is because he's honored and he is glorified as King of kings and Lord of lords whenever we find our greatest treasure and our greatest joy in Jesus. Uh, And whenever that happens, whenever we come together and we find our joy in Christ, uh, it causes us to do things like sing out loud, sing praise songs as you just heard we were just doing. Um, Makes me think of Psalm 63, one of my favorite psalms. And it says that uh, my soul will be satisfied as with rich food, and my mouth will praise him with joyful lips. And so when our souls are satisfied with Christ, the natural response is to sing to him in joy. Uh, And we also, whenever we're satisfied in Christ and find our joy in him, we also do things like live generously. Uh, So we're not only generous with our money. By the way, if you're um, if you have a desire to, to give, there's a, we don't pass, pass any sort of offering around. There's a black box in the back there. Uh, but we're also not only generous with our money, but also our time and our lives because God was most generous to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Um, but uh, the, one of the main ways that we seek to find our joy in Christ is by uh, teaching and preaching through the Bible. Uh, and as a church, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. Um, and it was written by a guy named Luke. Uh, who was a very intelligent man, very smart man. He was a physician. And he had p- compiled a, um, an eyewitness narrative for a man named Theophilus. Uh, and it says in verse 4 of chapter 1, uh, it tells us the purpose for why he had written this book. It says in verse 4, This was written that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught namely about Jesus. And that word certainty means this idea of firm security, safety, solid foundation, to not totter. Um, And how relevant is that? Because if you're honest with your own life, nothing good in this life really lasts. I mean, Christmas is over. Okay, I know there's some lights and there's some Christmas trees back there, but don't buy the light. It's over. Okay, I'm even wearing a Christmas shirt right now. Don't you think it's nice? Um, Christmas, Christmas is over. Um, it comes and it goes, just like everything else. And so what more relevant book to be going through than the Gospel of Luke? Because it was written to point us to Jesus Christ, to give us a firm security, safety, and refuge in Jesus Christ. Um, now, there are also times in your life when something feels like a storm and you feel like you're drowning and you feel like you have lost total control over everything. Some of you may be feeling that now, uh, which is where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to be in the, chap- the eighth chapter of Luke, verses 22 through 25, and it's the famous story of Jesus when he calms the storm with his disciples in the boat. So if you guys wouldn't mind turning to Luke 8. Verses 22 through 25. Very short story. One day he got, that's Jesus, one day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging 
waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. So, big question I want to address today is how do we, when we feel like the disciples here, life seems out of control, something seems like it's slipping from our grip, how do we find, as it says in verse 4 of chapter 1, security and safety in Christ? When literally your life is tottering, how do we in Christ not totter, right? And I think we need to, I'm going to state my sermon in a sentence, okay? So you can leave after I state this sentence, okay? In order to find security, safety, a rock-solid foundation in Christ in the midst of a storm, you need to know that Jesus leads his followers into the storm, that he is sovereign over the storm, and he is loving his followers through the storm. He leads you through the storm, He's sovereign over it, and he's really loving you through it. So let's work our way through that. You must know that Jesus leads his followers through the storm. In verse 22 and 23, it says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Jesus is leading them into this. He says, let's go. And they go with him. In Matthew 8, 23, it will not be up here. Here's what it says about the same story. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. So Jesus is the one who's leading them into the storm. They are simply along for the ride. And the storm is very, very sudden It says, a windstorm came down on the lake, which is very, very characteristic of weather patterns in the Sea of Galilee. The, I am not a weather man. I just looked this up, so. Um, The the cool air from the mountains would collide with the warm seawater off the Sea of Galilee. They would clash and would create these rapid storms very, very quickly. Um, And there's one scholar of the geography in the area who believes that they were on the just want to check my notes here. On the west side of the sea, allowing the storm to literally fall upon them. So they were near the mountains, which allowed the storms to crash down upon their boat. And Jesus is the one who was leading them into this. And you have to keep in mind that some of the followers of Jesus Christ were veteran fishermen. So they knew what were scary storms and what were not scary storms. Right? It's, so when they, when they see the guys who are the veterans freaking out, they want to freak out. It reminds me of you got a little child and they see daddy crying. They have no idea why daddy's crying. They just see daddy's crying and they just start freaking out, right? So these, the disciples are on the boat and they see every, everyone's panicking, everyone's freaking out. And the storm is also violent and dangerous. Verse 23 says they were filling with water and were in danger. Verse 24 talks about how there was wind and raging waves. From here on out, when I use the word storm, I want you to, especially as I'm, as, I'm, as I'm applying it to you and I, I want you to think of it in that sense. 
you're in a circumstance, you're going through life, and you're experiencing something like the disciples, something sudden, something chaotic, something violent, something scary, something that makes you panic, something that's very difficult. I mean, it could be anything, right? You must know that if you choose to follow Jesus, it guarantees no safe life. If you choose to follow, if you are a follower of Christ, it does not guarantee you a good life. It does not guarantee you safety. It does not guarantee you prosperity. The good news that Jesus brings is not a prosperity gospel, my friends. It is not trust in Jesus and life will go well. Sometimes it's trust in Jesus and life goes very, very, very badly. One of the greatest men who's ever lived, literally, John the Baptist, faithful follower of Jesus, and he ended up with his head chopped off. In order to have security in the midst of the storm, you have to know that that Jesus leads you into these. And you may be feeling insecure and losing your feeling of safety in Christ because you thought, "I I didn't sign up for this. Now, I know that there are some people in here who have read their, who know their sovereignty of God, and they read their Bible, and they say, yeah, amen, you know, suffering and persecution. But wait until a storm hits your life and see how you react. When a storm, if it's hard enough, if it's hard enough, it'll reveal what's really in your heart. Jesus says in Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, which is exactly what happens with the disciples. Verse 24, and they went and they woke him, that's Jesus saying, master, master, we are perishing. So these are, these are faithful followers of Christ, right? These are, these, are the, these are the ones that Jesus has chosen to follow him. They feel like they're, in, they're special, and they even call him master. So they're going through a hard time, and they go to Jesus. That's, that's a faithful follower of Christ. Life goes hard, run to Jesus. They even call him master, so they know that he's the authority over their life, so they seem to have right belief. But what comes out of their mouth exposes a lot more. In Mark chapter 4, verse 38, different writer, same account, it exposes a little bit more what comes out of the mouth of the disciples. They say, do you not care that we are perishing? What you really believe about God, what's in your heart and what you really believe about God is always exposed if the storm is sudden enough and if it's strong enough. Your heart is like a drinking glass. You fill it up with water and you're carrying it and someone bumps into you, what spills out? Water, right? Coffee, coffee. Whatever is in your heart If a storm comes and crashes into you, it will spill out in words, thoughts, and feelings. When life does not go the way you want it, how do you respond? How do you feel? How do you think? How do you talk? Are you a blamer? Are you a rager? Are you a self-pityer? I don't know. 
And you may object like the disciples and say, well, Jesus is asleep, though. He's sleeping in the boat, of course. I mean, look at him. Of course he doesn't care. So if Jesus is sleeping in a boat, during this, the only conclusion is he doesn't care? How does that follow? Some of you may feel like the disciples, have felt like the disciples. I don't know. Um, and you're like, I, th- I feel like God's asleep on me. Let me read you a Psalm 121, verses 3 through 4. It won't be up here. Talking about God. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither sleep, excuse me, neither slumber nor sleep. And even then, I can imagine myself like um, being in, like meeting at Starbucks with someone and trying to minister to their heart, and they would still say something like, yeah, I get that. It still seems like God is asleep. Again, that, re- that reveals the issue even more. So you're saying if God seems like he's asleep, the only conclusion is he does not care. How does that follow? That does not work. I'm going to ask a couple questions, a di- diagnostic question that I'd like you guys to ask about yourselves in, in, in letting this text expose what's in your heart. If God, say it this way, in your perfect world, what would it look like for God to care about you? Let me ask it another way. According to your standards, what would need to change in your life in order for you to know that he cares about you? That reveals a lot. Jesus is challenging the following belief. A loving and caring God would never lead me into a storm. Suffering, if you will. And there are different versions of this. There's the past version, there's the present version, and there's the future version. Some of you may be saying this, if God, the, the past version, if God loved me, if he really loved and cared about me, then he would never have let the following thing happen. Referring to something in the past. Or you're the present person. If God really loved and cared about me, then he would stop the following thing from continuing. And some of you may be kind of like me. Um, I'm one of those people, I have no idea why. I just have had a pretty peachy life. Some of you have experienced some tremendous suffering, not me. So I'm the future version. God loves and cares about me, therefore he will never allow that to happen to me. Jesus is challenging. This story is exposing and challenging this belief in our hearts. And where does this belief come from? I believe it comes at the bottom of it all. It's that we think that God is obligated to love and care about us the way that we think he should. Because somewhere in there we think we have held up our end of the bargain. I call it the, um, the XYZ belief. If I do X, God will do Y and never let Z happen. If 
I have done the following things, Lord. Therefore, I know you will never let this happen, and you will never let this happen. I heard a, a story one time. Uh, my family is here. There's a, a distant uh, cousin. To kind of give some flesh and bone on what this looks like. Uh, his, his wife was um, very ill. Health is, is always declining. And uh, his, his children, he's a son and a daughter, and they're very wayward, um, very rebellious, kind of doing their own thing. And uh, he, he chose to, to, to buy into the Jesus thing. And he was even going to, like, Chris Tomlin concerts and going to some Bible studies and saying, I'll do the Jesus thing. And after a while, um, my father-in-law told me that uh, he had given up on it. And he said, why? He said, that Jesus doesn't work for me. Why? I'll go to the Chris Tomlin concerts if he heals my wife and my kids get better. And if he doesn't do that, I'm out. This all stems from the belief that we don't believe that God, that Jesus would ever lead us into a storm. And we want to believe this because this God is manageable. He's tameable. He's useful. My friends, God is not like that. That is not the Christ of the Bible. Do you think this way about God? I've asked this before. What? Watch yourself under adversity, and it will expose what you really believe about this. Uh, now, Jesus is about to show us that he's far more sovereign and untamable than we could have ever imagined. So the first thing we need to know is that Jesus leads his followers into the storm. Second, he is sovereign over the storm. Verse 24. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? So Jesus wakes up, rebukes the wind and the waves, and every single water molecule submits. The wind and the raging waves and the storm are acting up, and the captain of the universe stands up and says, sit down, and they do. And it says there was a great calm. It was like a sea of glass. I mean, this is, this is total, utter, relentless sovereignty. This is scary sovereignty. This is total control, which is why... Which is exactly what shocked the disciples. They said, he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. The reason why that's a big deal is that in this time period, the waves and the sea and storms were associated with all that was chaotic and random and destruction. And they, he's sovereign over that? Hebrews 1.3, profound verse talking about Jesus says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We are only continuing to exist now because of the power of Christ's word. Sometimes people say, why do I need God? If there was no God, you wouldn't even have a mouth to ask the question. If Jesus is sovereign over the raging sea, every single water molecule in the Sea of Galilee, 
then what else is he sovereign over? He's sovereign over galaxies. He's sovereign over death. He's sovereign over cancer cells. He's sovereign over everything. This is the Christ of the Bible. Take him at his word. This is the Christ of the Bible. Let's transition. A sovereign Christ is not good news unless he's also loving you. In order to have security in the midst of a storm, no matter how terrible, you need to know that Jesus leads his followers into the storm, is sovereign over the storm, but lastly, he's also loving you through it. How is it loving? How is it loving for Jesus Christ to lead his followers into a storm that he himself is sovereign over? It has a lot to do with the question he asked the disciples, where is your faith? He's not, he's, not, he's not rebuking them because their faith is not big enough in him. He's not talking about the intensity or the strength of their faith because he says, where is it? It literally, literally, that's a hard word to say, literally reads, to what place have you put your faith? Because Jesus Christ knows. Let's get into the heart again. Jesus Christ knows that the heart of man, the affections of the heart, must trust in something. It can do no other. The affections of the heart always go out and rest upon something. They're insatiable. The desires of the heart, the trust of the heart, where you find your heart's rest must go out to something. And if it's not in Christ, then what is it in? Where is it? The affections of the heart are the only thing you have to give yourself away to someone or something. If I had a million dollars, which I don't, I could give everything that my wife wanted to her. But if I do not give her my affection... I give her nothing. You can give everything to Christ, but if you, give, if you do not give him your faith and your affection, you give him nothing. I don't care how much money you give. If your affection is not him, you have given him nothing. So where is your faith? Um, where have you placed your trust? Where have you placed your affection? What, what makes you panic? What makes you fearful? What makes you anxious? What makes you stressed? What makes you angry? What is it that if, you, if, if, if God went after this or this would make you feel paralyzed? Chances are you have placed your faith in that and not in Christ in a storm puts all those things that we trust in, it puts them in jeopardy, and sometimes it takes them away. If your heart has put all of its trust and its affection in something else, it infinitely dishonors God. It leaves you unfulfilled, and it hurts. It'll end up hurting you or someone else. Listen to this. 
So the most loving thing Christ could ever do in that is sovereignly lead you into a storm, expose your idolatry, and reveal himself to you in a way that makes you marvel and redirect your faith away from that and upon him. What is more loving for Jesus to do, to merely keep you away from a storm or to use a storm to reveal himself as marvelously fearful and glorious? What's more loving for him to do? To marvel is to be astonished out of your senses. Have you ever been astonished out of your senses with Christ? Look at verse 25. This is what the disciples say. And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? What Jesus is doing here is loving. To love someone, is it not to give someone what they most need no matter the cost? No matter the cost. What is it that we most need? What we most need is to marvelously be satisfied with the glory and the beauty and the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. It is loving for Jesus Christ to lead you into a sovereign storm of his hand because in that moment, you will discover that he is more to be desired than gold, that he is sweeter than any honey you've ever tasted, that he's more precious than any treasure you could have ever laid your hands upon. This is why it's loving for Jesus Christ to do this. What he's doing here is he's, t- he's showing the disciples that he alone is worthy of their faith. And by leading them into the storm, he exposes where their faith was and shows them the glory of Jesus Christ and it redirects their heart upon him. When Christ shines forth as the sovereign lover of your soul, you will say with the disciples, who is this? And commentators believe that this is the highest point of the story when the disciples say, who is this? When you're astonished out of your senses and you say, there is no God like this Christ here. Listen carefully to this. God is glorified in you when you discover him to be more precious and fearfully marvelous than anything in the world, especially in a storm that was delivered from his very hand. Uh, one of my favorite, famous, excuse me, favorite uh, Puritans, Thomas Brooks, said this one time. The hand of God may be against a man, but when the love, when the love of God is also set much upon that man. Do you have a category of God like that? That in one instance his hand can be heavy upon you and his, his love is also right in it as well. And this is what Christ is doing. Uh, I'm going to end with um, just an illustration from my life that I think might be helpful for you guys to see what I'm talking about here. And then I'll uh, bring things to a close. I don't normally like to tell stories from my own life uh, because you run the risk of glorifying yourself. And so do your best not to see me in this, uh, but to see Jesus Christ in this. Um, Back in college, I played, uh, played football for Wheaton College. And my heart's My heart loved football. It was my God. 
I loved it. It gave me glory. It gave me fame. It gave me pleasure. I devoted time, energy, money, effort, everything into it. I mean, I put my heart's affection upon that. I even, I hadn't planned on saying this. I even, it was so bad, I even had a moment with my, uh, my, she wasn't my wife then, but she's my wife now, Karen. I actually had a talk with her, and I told her that she has to take second place until the season's over. Yeah. It's marvelous that she married me, right? <laughs> I love you. Um, it was bad. It was bad. It was that bad. I told her she had to take second place. Uh, a silly game took place over, over a beautiful woman. And um, I had a great junior year, a great junior year, very successful. Um, won some awards, and I had great plans for my senior year. And um, preseason comes around, and uh, there's a, a tight end coming around, and, and they, they throw the ball, and I jump out. And it was kind of like in between. So I didn't know whether to dive or to just lunge out. So I kind of did a, a dunge, like a dive and a lunge. And I had my leg was out, and my, I planted my foot, and my femur basically temp, like just quickly dislocated and came back in. And I just destroyed my knee. Uh, and just like that, football was taken away. And I panicked. Uh, <laughs> I actually said that. I was in the locker room by myself. The, the guys took me in the locker room. I was, it was dead silent. You could hear just crickets. And I said, God, do you not care about me? He took it away. Something I loved. And I remember preparing for the doctors to come in. And I was cleaning up. And I was sitting there. And uh, I had a moment when I, I, I thought about the story of Job. And God took everything away from him. Far more than I, he's taken away from me. And Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And just like that, I had never experienced Christ as so precious that he was able to take something from me and replace it with a greater treasure, which is himself. And I promise you, I mean this when I say this, I would not be here today in North Jersey preaching now if it was not for God breaking my knee. I do believe God broke my knee. And I do believe he was loving me in it. And I'm very grateful that he did it. Um, my knee is not 100%. In fact, I have to, I have to rest um, on my left leg and not my right. In fact, my, when I try to rest on my right, I have to keep my right quad flexed the whole time. I have a bad left hip because of that. And it's a continual reminder. It's a precious gift, this knee, to remind me that Christ is more precious than anything. And his, the storm that came my way took it away, and Christ glorified himself in it. Um. How, where do you get the power to willingly walk into a storm like this? You have to know that this was not the only storm that, was, that needed to be calmed. There was a much more fierce, infinitely raging sea 
that needed to be calmed. And it was not the sea on the Sea of Galilee. And the Hebrew prophets in the Old Testament talk about this. In Ezekiel 13, 13, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a storm wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. Jeremiah 29, 13, Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest, it will burst upon the head of the wicked. The greatest wrath that ever needed to be calm was the storm of God's wrath toward our own sin. Do you realize how much it dishonors God for me to have loved football more than him? He is the most infinitely treasurable gift in the universe, and I forsook that for something of later, lesser worth. That is worthy of his rightful anger. And this storm of God's wrath could not be stopped. It could not be stilled with a mere rebuke of Christ's word. It could only be calm with Christ's death. When Jesus Christ was being crucified, when he was nailed to a cross, the storm of God's infinite wrath was dumped out upon his son and was absorbed for those who would believe in him, who would put their faith in him. Only by seeing Jesus Christ drown under the wrath of God on the cross for you can you even begin to be willingly led into any storm that this life has to offer, especially the ones that are directly from his hand of God, which are all of them. This Christ, the one who died for you, the one who rose again for you, is worthy of all your faith. And when you see that he did this for you, You'll gladly take anything from his hand if, if it gets you more of him. So I'm just going to end with just a couple questions, and then uh, we'll pray. Just to, Maybe you are in a storm right now. Maybe you feel like you're drowning. Uh, my encouragement to you would be wait on the Lord. He will show himself mighty to you, in the meantime, look deeply into the eyes of Jesus Christ who went into the storm of God's wrath for you. And you can know that he's not punishing you because he took it for you. You can know that he cares about you or else why else would he die for you? Maybe you've just made it out of a storm and you find your heart filled with bitterness and discouragement. I would say let Jesus challenge your theology and give you a new one which believes in a God who lovingly leads into storms sovereignly from his hand and loves you through it. Uh, maybe you're enjoying blue skies and there's just no wind at all, no storm at all, and life is pretty good. Um, a storm may come soon when you least expect it. And are you prepared for that? It's actually good to prepare for suffering. Look deeply into Christ who did this for you. Maybe you want to quit. You want to grab a lifeboat and you want to jump out of the boat and just say, I'm going to save myself. I'm giving up on Jesus and I'm going to save myself. It is only those who make it to the end who will be saved. If you jump now into your own lifeboat and try to save yourself, there is only wrath for you. The only safe place is in Christ. Stay. Maybe you were on the shore and you've never stepped on the boat. My question to you is, what is holding you back? 
Maybe you simply cannot accept a God who would allow suffering. Have you ever considered that you have just as much faith as the Christian? Because you objecting to Jesus because he would somehow use suffering and use bad things for his own good, your objection depends on the belief that somehow suffering is pointless. Where is the evidence for that? In other words, you staying on the shore and not jumping into the boat with Christ takes just as much faith as the one who has stepped onto the boat. And maybe you are deeply encouraged and your heart is relishing the glory of Christ even while you're in the storm. I would encourage you to sing silently in your heart the famous hymn, His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he is then my hope and stay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for just the story here of Jesus Christ showing himself as the leader of your, his followers into the storm as the one who's sovereign over them and also the one who's loving us through them. I pray that you would help us to take what we've heard today and apply it to our hearts and that we would find our greatest joy and treasure in Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.